Well, hey, everyone. Uh, if, for those of you that I don't know, my name is Mike, and uh, so excited to be here with you for the next few minutes. We're in the final week of a four-week series that we're closing up, where we've been uh, looking at, uh, um, the series is called Just Like Jesus, where we're looking at a passage in Matthew 28 that is called the Great Commission, and it's Jesus actually commissioning his disciples, which is us as well, as we've been learning. And... Um, so we're in the final week today to close this up. And I'm really excited because I believe that every person that's here, God wants to talk to you today. And so I want you to kind of, as we go forward, I just want you to be expecting to hear something from God because I think he wants to say something to you. So, but I want to just jump right into this verse. I want to read this Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Then we're going to, we'll, we'll kick in here. It says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus speaking, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, that's the passage we've been looking at. Week one, if you remember, Dave talked about this term, go make disciples. This isn't a destination. It's as you go, or you don't have to be somewhere, wherever you are, you should be making disciples. That's the first week. And then he talked the next week about how, gave us a tool to be able to share our faith, be able to share your testimony with people. And I'm not gonna try and re-preach that, but if, if you struggle with the ability to share your faith, I wanna encourage you to go back and watch that message. It's really, really helpful. And then last week, you heard Jason give us the what, the, high, uh, the, the why and the how of disciples making. What, what is a disciple? Why do we make disciples? How do we make disciples? And this week, we're going to be looking at the fact that Jesus alone has to be the center of our hearts if we want to be disciples. It has to be at the very center of our hearts. And maybe the most important thing, if you're trying to be a disciple or you're trying to help someone become a disciple, one, probably the most important thing is that you are following Jesus first. If you're not following him, you may be leading people, but I don't think you're leading them to Jesus. And that could be a problem. And uh, so that's where we're going today. And, and the way we do this is through some specific spiritual practices. Now, when you talk about spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices, there's a bunch. I'm really going to focus on two today, okay? I'm going to just look at two. And, and again, there are many. But you've probably heard, you know, when you talk about spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices, you've probably heard this. You can finish this for me. Practice makes perfect, right? It's really cool. But the problem is it's not necessarily true. It's not necessarily true. And the reason it's not true is because if you're not practicing something correctly, you're actually perfecting the art of doing something wrong, right? That's actually what you're doing. I know this from experience because I taught myself to play guitar and I have so many bad habits. It's really hard. I have to go back and relearn things that I should have learned 20 years ago. So while that seems like an endearing thing, it's, it's not necessarily. And uh, Malcolm Glad, Gladwell, Gladwin, Gladwell, in his book, Outliers, if you, you may have read this, he talks uh, about the 10,000-hour rule. And in this book, what he says is that if you want to master something, you spend 10,000 hours of practice and you will have mastered it. That's a lot. That's why so many of us haven't mastered stuff. But there's been, after that came out, there was some, uh, some other people who were like, I'm not really sure. They did some research and they said, you know, I've seen that people have learned 
have mastered stuff in much less. So maybe the 10,000 hour rule is just kind of a, uh, an average or a ballpark. And they said, because many people actually exceeded the 10,000 hours and hadn't mastered stuff. And then they started talking about how, well, it has to be you know, deliberate practice, not generic practice and all these different things. Here's, here's the point though. <laughs> Whether that's all true or not, when you practice something, you are improving that skill. And uh, you, you, maybe you know about this guy, Anton Rubinstein. He's considered one of the top, uh, top 10 pianists in the world. And he said this, if I omit practice one day, I notice it. If two days, my friends notice it. If three days, the public notices it. So you can see from a master how essential it is to be practicing the things you want to improve at. But here's what's interesting. We're not just talking about building skills. We are talking about building some skills today, but it's not just a skill. We're actually talking about building spiritual practices. And the key difference is, and it's really important, is that part of the process is spiritual. It's a spiritual practice. And so let me just, let me just like dumbfound you with the brilliance of my ability to use words to convey great messages. Point number one. Spiritual practices are spiritual. <laughs> okay, no one's writing. No one's writing. All right. Anyway, it's interesting because you look at this passage in Matthew 28, now, and, and this is very, very important because you can, you can master stuff completely in, in the flesh, completely humanly. But when you're talking about spiritual stuff, it's a little, little different than that. And, and this, this is really cool. Matthew 28 starts like this. 28.18 says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples and baptize and so on. Okay. Why do you think he started with his authority? Like you could just read right past this, right? And just kind of miss this idea that Jesus, you know, maybe you could read it like this. I am authoritative, Therefore, you must do what I tell you. But that's not what he's saying, actually. In fact, he's actually expressing a very literal truth about himself. And that is all authority, heaven and earth, he has. He has authority over all of that, power over all of that. And, you know, if, if you, uh, and so he's reminding the disciples in this moment, I have the authority and I'm going to be handing off this authority to you, this power. You're not going in your own strength. You're going to go in our power, in my power. And uh, if you remember when he was 12 years old, if you've, if you've read the Gospels, you remember there's a, a scene where Jesus gets left behind and the family uh, leaves town and they come back to find him and they find him in the temple. And he's, he's uh, talking with all the religious scholars and leaders of that time. And, and debating with them, and they are absolutely dumbfounded because they can't understand how someone who's 12 years old has that much power and authority, scripturally speaking. Because he has power. Jesus had power over the mind, but he also had power over the body. 23 different healings are recorded in the gospel, physical healing, sight, touch, you know, uh, leprosy, hearing, all this kind of stuff. He has power over earthly things. If you remember, he turned water to wine. He multiplied fish and bread. He has power over nature. He walked on water. Any of you do that? No? Yeah, Rick Ocasek did in his, it's a car's joke, never mind. Uh, 
Anyway, his power over nature, he, remember he caused the waves to cease by just a word. His power over the spiritual, he exorcised people, got, cast demons out of them, and the demons had no choice but to listen. And then ultimately, he's talking to them right after he's risen from the dead, and he's making a point here, I have power over life and death. And he wants them to know quite clearly he's going to be sending them with power, and it's that power, ultimate power and authority over heaven and over earth. I want to look at another parallel passage to this where we, we see Jesus uh, commissioning the disciples. And it's in Acts chapter one, verse eight. And look what it says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, let me just give you a little background on this. Jesus Christ, of course, he's died. He's raised from the grave again. He's about to ascend into heaven. And uh, he goes to the disciples and he says, hold on, you guys stay here in Jerusalem. And in a little bit, the Holy Spirit is going to come and do something crazy. You'll know it when you see it. Then you can, you know, then you can leave. And here's, so the day of Pentecost comes. This is the day when the Holy Spirit is unleashed to the point where thousands of people in one day give their lives to following Jesus. And they're filled with the Spirit and they start doing amazing, miraculous stuff. And then you remember Peter, uh, Peter, the, I don't even know this man, as Jesus is about to be crucified three times, this, he, he couldn't even say he knew, he knew him. Well, Peter heals a man who couldn't walk. And then he speaks with such authority to the religious leaders that they are like, whoa, what is happening? They arrest him and John. They throw him in jail overnight. And then the next morning, they bring them out of the jail. And this is what happens. This is in Acts chapter four. It says, they brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? Done what? Healed someone. And we know the Peter, the night that Jesus was crucified, this is a different Peter. By what power are you doing this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, do you want to know? how he was healed, let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the power of the name of Jesus. In other words, this is done through me, not by me. The power you're seeing is the power of Jesus, not the power of Peter. And then they respond by saying, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Now, our spiritual practices need to be spiritual in nature, and we can't do this in our own strength. But here's the thing. The way we can obtain that spiritual power that's offered to us is just like John and Peter, is to be in the presence of Jesus. So you say, well, that's great, Mike. I don't know if you know this. Jesus left the earth about 2,000 years ago. Right. So that's the question. How can we practice the presence of Jesus when he's not here? And before I move on, I just want to make one last kind of comment about this. Uh, 
you know, Jesus called us to be disciples who make disciples. And I think we need to understand, first of all, his invitation. We could look at disciple making and trying to follow Jesus and whatever as like this obligation. You know, I, oh, and, and sometimes we look at it this way. This is, not, this is not what that is. Jesus' invitation is for us to be living into the way we were created to be living, to be following him. And when we try to live outside of following him, we're actually living outside of the way we were created. You want to know why you have troubles and problems that are facing you? And I don't mean money and stuff like that. I do mean that too. But I'm saying all of the stuff that's wrong in this world is the result of us not following him. This is really important for us to realize that. And I also want you to know that when you follow Jesus, there's no guarantee he's going to do it the way you want him to do it. Okay? You might have some surprises and, uh, you know, so in the Acts passage, you remember where he, uh, where, where did he send him to go? You're going to go in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Okay, that's what he tells him. Well, we'll, we'll look at this next passage, just a couple more chap- chapters forward in Acts. And on that day, a great persecution broke out. Stop there. On what day? This is the day after Peter, who was so filled with the Holy Spirit, preached to the high council who had crucified Jesus. And they are so lit up that they stone him, not stone him, they stone him to death, presided over by Paul, the apostle. Not yet, but eventually. Now, I don't think that was the script that Stephen would have designed for himself. But here's what's interesting, and this is why I bring this up. A great persecution broke out. The very next day, this persecution broke out in the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Okay, here's what I'm saying. Stephen's boldness brought the beginning of a persecution that spread the gospel out of Jerusalem where the disciples stayed into Judea and Samaria, the surrounding areas. And what happened was that the people who were now followers of Jesus, as they went, took the gospel with them. And that's why we have the whole of the New Testament, because he's writing to churches in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria. That's probably not the master plan we would create for church development here in America. If only a persecution could break out. No, we'd be like, wow, we should get together. We should plan, raise a little money. And, you know, all this. God is also not up in heaven wringing his hands going, I hope enough people follow me. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to pull this off. No, he's going to do it. He's inviting us to live into the call he has on our life and live into the purpose that we were created to live. And it's your choice if you want to follow that or not. So let me back to my script here. Spiritual practices are spiritual. Point two, spiritual practices are practiced. I mean, it comes better than that. Come on. (laughs) Really? I don't know. I left. Anyway, spiritual practices are practiced. Ted Williams uh, was a uh, famous baseball player back in the 1940s and 50s. Uh, he's a pro player. And he was, he, they, they referred to him as the natural hitter. And one day, someone asked him about his natural ability. And he, he, his reply was this. There is no such thing as a natural born hitter. 
I have become a good hitter because I paid the price of constant practice, constant practice. And the reality is like that 10,000 hour rule, if you don't put the time in, you will not develop. It's very simple. So let's talk about how, since Jesus is here, how can we practice being in his presence? And this is the heart of what spiritual, of, of this spiritual discipline. I'm going to talk about two, but I want to tell you a little story here first. Uh, you guys will have no idea what this is, but I'm about to tell you. This is one, a very cherished possession of mine. Uh, five years ago or so, I, I think it was about five years ago, I, uh, I got invited to go to France. It was a really, really great experience. And I got to spend seven full days uh, in Studio La Fabrique, France. Uh, and I was with 14 pe- myself and 13 other people. Got to go. I was the only American there. And we got to spend one week with Eddie Kramer. And you're like, no idea. Right. Eddie Kramer, I think I have a picture. Do we have a picture of him? I hope we do. Yeah. He's the guy down in the front with the brown shirt on. That's Eddie Kramer. That's me in the back, charming. Uh, anyway, we spent seven full days. This was the most disciple-like experience. We literally were in his dust. We woke up. We ate breakfast together. And we would go in. Oh, by the way, let me just say this. If you don't know who Eddie Kramer is, um, maybe you're familiar with some of his work. He recorded all the Jimi Hendrix records. He recorded the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, Rolling Stones. He recorded uh, John Mayall, Bad Company, Steve Winwood. I mean, I'm just, he has recorded, here's the point if you're not tracking with me. He's amazing. (laughs) He's a master. And this book is called Mix with the Masters. So we got to spend seven days. We would get up in the morning. We'd all sit around a big table and we'd talk. We'd eat breakfast. Then we'd go into a morning recording session. They brought a band in that we were recording. And uh, we would, we'd work on this stuff. And they gave us this notebook so we could write down all the notes that he had and the tips and how is he doing this stuff. And we were, would ask him questions. He would tell us how to set our compressors. That means nothing to most of you. He would tell us what microphones to use. And I told him, well, I used the 414 on my overheads. He goes, no, 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 never. I'm like, Oop, never say that again, I guess. But anyway, we spent a week from like eight in the morning to like midnight learning from the master. Now, I learned to become a disciple of Eddie Kramer, the audio master. But then I came back to America and he didn't come with me. Sort of. But I have this little notebook that when I started doing recording sessions with people again, I would be like, how did he set his compressors again? Oh. And I would set my compressors that way. And I would mic things the way he said. To the point where I refer to this book so much, I have most of it memorized. And here's the point when it comes to spiritual practices. Though Jesus can't be here sitting next to you in a chair, you can become a disciple of Jesus with his notebook that he's provided for us. And it's called the Bible. It's a little better than this one. And that's the first spiritual practice is reading God's word. I came across, uh, you know, I was looking at uh, passages that kind of talk about this and I, and, and I found in Psalm 119, 
it's really, really important. It says this, how can a young person stay in the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in the great riches. I meditate on your precepts. I consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you've got to know who he is. And the only way for us to know who he is is to be in his presence. And one way we can do that is by giving ourselves daily to the word, spending time reading God's word. Now, we do a thing around here at K2. Dave, I don't know how long you introduced this, a decade maybe? Probably maybe even more, I don't know. But it's a thing called, you don't even know what I'm talking about. How can you say yes? (laughs) Anyway, he does. But uh, it's called SOAP. And I want to just give you a couple things that can really help you when you're reading God's word. Because here's what I know. I, I've gone through this. And if I was a betting man, and I tend to be, I would put a lot of money on the fact that many people in this room have, have thought, I don't know, reading the Bible is really hard. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I, I'm not sure how to do it. And this tool is really, really simple. It's a really helpful tool. It's called SOAP. And here's all it is. You find a scripture that you're going to read. You read it. And as one of those verses pops off the page, you write that at the top of your page. And then don't just leave it there. Make an observation. What did you learn new about God? Well, what did you learn new about humanity or yourself or sin? Or what jumped off the page? And write a few sentences about what your observation is about that scripture. But don't leave it there. Because the point of God's word is to transform us. So what's the application? If I've learned something about the nature of God, how is that going to impact the way I'm living? And you need to write a few sentences about that. And then finally, pray. Because once you have an action plan, I wish it's always easy to follow through and pull that off. But the truth of the matter is a lot of times we need the help of God. And we can pray and ask him to step in Maybe, maybe you need courage to have a tough conversation. Maybe you need grace so you don't tear someone's head off. Whatever it is that he reveals to you, pray that God, spiritual, will help you do that thing. Soap. Really, really valuable. The other thing I want to tell you, because I'm not going to prescribe, I'm not going to say you need to do this reading, but I will give you a couple things that I think are really helpful. One of them, if you haven't been to this site, it's called The Bible Project. Thebibleproject.com is amazing. They have animated videos about the enti- every single book in the Bible. They have word studies that are videos and support. They have a reading plan. They have uh, themes. It's so helpful. If you're not sure what you're reading about, Go to the Bible Project, watch these things. They're like eight minutes. They're super short, and they're some of the best learning you can make, bibleproject.com. The other one I would say, I don't have my phone with me. Many of you have this, though, the Bible Gateway app. And if you don't have the Bible Gateway app, I encourage you to download that. The Bible Gateway app is a Bible, but it's like 
versions and versions and versions. And this is one of the things that may be a helpful tip when, you t- when it comes to reading God's word. Some versions are going to be easier for you to understand than others. I'm gonna just lower my, you're gonna think less of me, but I love the New Living Translation. And it's a, it's a very common English translation. No these, thous, thuses, and hitherto's and stuff like that. And I say that jokingly, but the problem is when you read, like the King James for me is really challenging because it doesn't speak the same language I speak. So find a, find a, a, a translation that's helpful and speaks language. I, I do recommend the NLT as a great learning source, but there's so many good ones too. And then I want to throw one more thing at you that is up there already. It's the 30-day challenge. And this happened for Susie and I very, very early in our message or in our marriage. Um, and we went to a conference and this guy threw out the 30-day challenge. It takes 21 days to build a habit, they say. And here's what he challenged us and what I want to challenge you with. For the next 30 days, pick a time every day to read the Bible. Five minutes, five hours, whatever. Five verses. And it doesn't have to be fives either, but I'm, you, anyway, just pick a time, pick an amount and read every day for 30 days. And for Susie and I, this became a habit of our marriage to get up and spend time reading. It'll transform your life, I promise you that. So that's the first, is to read God's word. And the second spiritual practice I wanna talk about is the spiritual practice of prayer. Now, I know when I say prayer, some of you are like, I would rather have a tooth, like a root canal than have to pray out loud. And there's, there's a lot of, I don't know if I can do it. It seems so mystical or, like, oh man, it seems like that's, that's like, that's for like the experts or something. Aren't the church people supposed to pray? Well, yeah, but so are you. And uh, I, I want to I just punctuate this because there's a really interesting, and I wish I had time to get into this story. I don't. There's this guy, he's one of my, we named one of our, our first son, Elijah, after this prophet. And uh, fascinating stories, miraculous occurrences in his life, just many, many things. This is a specific reference to one of those moments in, in James 5. And it says this, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. And then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Let's go halfway back up into that verse and it says, Elijah was what? As human as you and me. And sometimes we think, Only the spiritual elite have this power accessible to them. And here's what I want you to hear me say. You're wrong. That power is available to us as we connect to Jesus. He was as human as I, but he prayed. Okay? So get rid of that idea that you have to be in a spiritual league. Here's what I, I just want a couple other notes. The first thing is it was sometimes we think that prayer is supposed to be like, a, you know, we treat it like a genie in the bottle. You know what I mean? I, I pray and I ask for God and he's supposed to produce these things for me. And I keep going, God, now I need this, now I need this. And as I was thinking about this, I realized something. No, see, prayer is really simple, actually. It's you having a conversation with God. And then I began thinking, <laughs> I'm like, imagine, imagine this. 
Imagine if your relationship with your family, your you know, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, imagine if your relationships looked like your prayer life. It should actually. But for many of us, and for me at seasons, my prayer life, if it looked, if, if my relationships looked like my prayer life with, or if my relationship with my wife looked like my prayer life, it would be like this. Whew, I am in deep trouble, Susie. I need something else again. Wait, stop talking. I'm still asking. But there's more. Hey, I'm fixed. I'll see you in three months. And we need to develop the habit of being in prayer, which is a conversation, which means it's two ways. I talk and I listen. And it's a rarely used skill to actually listen in prayer. And it may be one of the most important things you can do. I remember, I, I didn't, this came to me, Dave, I remember you saying this a long time ago. You're like, I remember one morning I was praying and, and it's like, God said to me, hey, you asked for a lot of stuff. Do you want to you hear my answers? <laughs> this is what we do. We go through our day and we check the list and we pray and we ask and ask and we go on our way and we're like, well, nothing's changing. Well, you never even, never even checked in with God to see what he wanted. So, I want to give you a quick little, another little tool. It's an acronym, again, that I think is really helpful for prayer. And it's this, it's ACTS. You can remember these. They're four letters, are super simple. You have soap, now you have ACTS. And ACTS is this. I adore, maybe we don't have a slide for this. Adore, confess, thank, supplicate. Sorry, that's a terrible word, but it works because it means ask. Adore, confess, thank, ask. Where do they put the ask part in that? <laughs> the end. See, prayers too often start, I just go to him and we're supposed to ask. Make, make no mistake about it. He tells us, ask and he will. He'll hear us. But you know, if you're spending time in the word, understanding who God is, how about starting with expressing back to him, your acknowledgement of who he is in relationship to you. And then confess, you know what? You're this, I'm not that. Thank him for what you have and then ask. It's a really helpful tool. But so here's what I wanna do as we close to tonight. I wanna give us an opportunity to practice what, what we use here called listening prayer. Because I think many of us probably haven't used this much, Okay. It might feel awkward, and if it's awkward, just, just lean into it. Just, just lean into it, okay? I want you to do this with me. Take a risk with me. And here's what it is. I want you to just take a second to identify something in your life that feels like you'd like to hear from God on, or something in your life that feels broken, or something in your life that you're thinking, I don't know why this is happening, or something in your life that's an issue for you. And then what I'm going to do, Van, you guys can come on back up. I'm just going to read this passage. I want you to listen to these words. And then we're going to sit here for two minutes while you do nothing but listen for God to answer you. It says this in Philippians 4, 6 and 7. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus. Take a couple minutes and see what Jesus wants to say to you right now.